in the morning. When you want the news, you need the front page every hour on the press box. Nothing's writing on this except the uh, First Amendment, the Constitution, freedom of the press, and maybe the future of the country. Not that any of that matters. And now, the news. Russell Westbrook became the first player in NBA history to have multiple games with a triple-double that included 20 or more rebounds and 20 or more assists. He did it last night against the Pacers. Uh, By the way, the Wizards won that game 154 to 141. But only one other player in NBA history has had a single game with a triple-double of 20-plus rebounds, 20-plus assists, and that was Wilt Chamberlain. And again, he's only done it once. Russell Westbrook has now done it twice. Um, Ed, I know the triple-double has become devalued in basketball because it happens a lot more now than it used to. But Russ, I mean, it's still unbelievable stat lines that Russell Westbrook puts up. Definitely. Well, okay. So I'm not. I'm gonna excuse Wilt on this because I think he would have had more than one if not for being tired from his other endeavors. So if he wasn't so tired all the time from other stuff, I think Wilt would have had more than one. Let me ask you this about Russell Westbrook. I saw, uh, and you can talk to speak to this. I saw a headline this morning: Russell Westbrook, one of the greatest inefficient players in NBA history. Oh yes, absolutely. He is not a good shooter, which hurts his efficiency. It absolutely does. But because he. he he can have games where he gets 20 assists and 20 rebounds. That's insane. Like, that is insane to do. He he is an unbelievably great basketball player. But, like, the problem for Russell Westbrook is we're going to look back and it's going to be, you know, you never won anything. And people that, like me, love analytics are going to say Russell Westbrook wasn't actually that great. Right. He's an inefficient scorer. But he's, he, that, that, to me, that's a perfect way to phrase it. He is one of the best inefficient players yeah. ever. That was the headline is, this morning. I'm like, whoa, yeah. okay. Because he is, he's so, I mean, he's he's really good. Like, really good. But yeah, he takes mid-range jumpers. He doesn't really hit a high percentage of three. So he's not exactly the the guy you want scoring a bunch. But yeah, I, I take him on my team every time. Great question. Thank nice. you. Tom Wilson, he was given a 10-minute misconduct penalty last night. He's now been fined $5,000 this morning. Last night, Tom Wilson punched Pavel Busnevich in the head while Busnevich was laying on the ice after a play. He then pulled Artemi Panarin down to the ice by the back of his head, basically by his hair. So he's been fined. He was penalized in the game as well. But we're talking about a guy who's been suspended over five times in the NHL. One of those was for 20 games. And earlier this season, he was suspended for seven games. Um, I guess the question with Tom Wilson that a lot of people are asking, at what point does he just keep doing enough things that on their own wouldn't get you banned from hockey? But when you do it six, seven, eight, nine, ten times in your career... The NHL has to seriously consider taking Tom Wilson out of the league. Well, I don't think they'll take him out of the league, but the, it, it's a joke in terms of the response, and it's so far from what it should be. Um, John Shannon tweeted, I assume this is right this morning, Tom Wilson, $5,000 fine. Look, $5,000 to Tom Wilson, That I don't even know if he'd even miss that. If someone will write a check, he won't even know it. And So if that's the punishment, it's not only a joke and, and ridiculous, then – He's not going to change. I mean, Tom Wilson, like you said, the most he's ever gotten is 20 games. And think of all that he's done. 
So if you're Tom Wilson, you're laughing behind the scenes and they're never going to do anything to me. And if you're the Capitol fans who continue, I saw a tweet this morning, you know, he could kill. I don't know if you never want this to happen, but it was obviously an over-exaggeration. But the point was, this guy could kill someone on the ice and the Capitol fans would be tweeting out his stats from the Stanley Cup fine. I mean, there's no accountability when it comes to Tom Wilson, not only on the Capitol side, you know that they're going to defend their guy, but mostly egregiously from the NHL side. This is the problem. It's the NHL. You know what you're getting from the Capitol side of things. It's embarrassing that he continues to do these things. He will, if not already, hurt someone violently, and then we'll see what the NHL has to say for itself. Yeah, and that's that's sort of the the fear here, is that something really bad is going to happen with yes. Tom Wilson on the ice. And if, if it does, we're going to look back and say, well, what, what was the NHL doing? Like, they know exactly yeah. who Tom Wilson is, and this still happened. That's a great, great question. Manchester City plays PSG at noon today in the Champions League semifinal. PSG. Man City won the first leg two to one. So are you ready for these scenarios, Ed? Man City will advance to the Champions League final if they draw or win, and even if they lose one to nothing. Uh, If PSG PSG wins by two goals – then PSG goes through. If PSG wins by one goal, but scores at least three times, so 3-2-4-3, PSG goes through. If it's 2-1 to one after 90 minutes, they will go to extra time. And a PSG 2-1 to one win after uh, uh, 90 minutes will go to extra time and penalty. So PSG, come back win today, Ed. Excited at 7 o'clock to uh, Google to see if they won. Uh, it's always nice to Google. I have no idea if uh, my team won to go on towards the uh, free lunch. So, uh, yeah, I- I'm excited. It's going to be a big day. Big day. You can, you can watch it, Ed, on TV at noon. What are you doing at noon? You don't oh, have God. Oh, God. No, I, I have writing, dude. I have serious things that I can't watch that soccer. There's no chance in hell. Uh, you can write, stories to write. You can write about Manchester City. <laughs> Tyler, I need clicks. I need clicks <laughs> from the stories. I don't need three clicks. I need 3,000. Next question. LeBron James missed the Lakers game on Monday night against the Nuggets. The Lakers still won 93-89, to but he hurt his ankle, left their game on Sunday. It was a back-to-back, and he did not play. Frank Vogel described him as day-to-day, so they are not saying this is anything serious. But given that LeBron James has uh, missed a significant portion of this year... I, should we be worried at all about LeBron James and his health for the playoffs? Well, I don't think it really matters because Anthony Davis, when they beat Denver last night, was screaming, we're back, we're back. So maybe they're back without LeBron James. I don't know if you're going to win best of seven against that team if we're back. So they don't seem to be bothered by it. But no, yeah, I mean, he's he hurt the ankle. Like you said, he had the thing before. He's, seen, you know, he's always been in incredible shape. Um, you know, he's never been a guy with, the, with that body like that breaks down. But... At some point, even things happen to him. So I think there's a little con- there has to be a little concern given how much he's missed this year that he won't be 100% for the playoffs. And as we've seen, I think teams are closer than them. I just don't think they'll be able to show up and turn on, you know, flip the switch. Maybe they will. Maybe they'll win it all. I think it's harder this year, though. I think there's teams out there that they're not going to be able to flip the switch against, and he's going to have to play and play well. By the way, update on the standings. Lakers won last night. The Trailblazers lost. The Mavericks did not play. So the Lakers leap from seven, which puts you in the play-in round, to the five seed in the West as of today. Again, they're a half game ahead of the Mavericks. They're one game 
ahead of the Blazers. But as of now, LeBron James and the Lakers would not be in the playoff round. They would instead be in a 4-5 matchup with the Clippers. I do have an update also on Jackson Francois. Oh, boy. Uh, Oh, boy. Pops Ramirez, Jackson would have passed his driver's license had he attended Faith Lutheran. So let's take a shot at Gorman again. Thanks, Pops. (laughs) We are Pops out of the blue with a shot at Gorman. We are in the weeds. Who are we doing this show for? (laughs) My mom, apparently DRF and... Willie Ramirez. Yeah, Willie Ramirez. (laughs) We are back. Poor Jackson Francois. Next question. Shohei Otani was scratched from his start yesterday. Uh, There was no reason given by the Angels, but Otani was hit on the elbow with a pitch in Sunday's game. So it feels like this is a yearly and maybe even weekly story about Otani not being available or not being able to pitch. So I'm curious, Ed, do you think the Angels, do you think Shohei Otani should give up on Otani as a pitcher? I don't know if they should. I think other teams might uh, make that decision, but I think they're going to stay with him as a pitcher as long as possible. I mean, well, I shouldn't say this. Uh, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm saying the prayer now. Bad, bad, uh, bad uh, uh, diagnosis on Dustin May. But there are teams out there that might think about this. Where if it's him, I think they probably go to the end and he and try him as long as possible. This. You're right. I think you know, um, health wise and what we've seen, they probably should. Uh, just say you're just going to be hitter and we're just going to go with that. But I got a feeling the Angels are going to go to this to the end with him as a pitcher. He is a terrific hitter. Like his OPS this year is uh, yeah, over 900 for his career. It's like great 860. Hitter. And like the average OPS is 740. So he's significantly better than average. He can just, just hitting alone, he carries a ton of value. Like if, if they decided today Otani's only going to hit, he carries a ton of value just yeah, as a hitter. Great. His pitching side, he's only made 15 starts in his major league career, and he averages less than five innings per start, right? He hasn't really been that effective of a pitcher given how much he's, or given the limited amount of times he's been able to pitch. But in those starts, his ERA is solid, his strikeouts per nine is good. Like he's an above average pitcher as well when he's able to pitch. So I think if, if you're Otani and you're the Angels, I think you try to hold on to this. You try to hold on to him being able to to pitch because if you could get a guy who is a 900 OPS hitter and is, you know, even if he's just like a number four starter in your your rotation, that's unbelievable value. It's just a matter of, is he ever going to be healthy enough to do both? Is he ever going to be healthy enough to pitch, you know, a full season or hell, even just 75% of a season as a starter, giving you five plus innings every time. That's the question. If he can, phenomenal value. But as of now, we haven't really seen that. has this guy been given enough credit for when he came in and we heard, oh, he's going to pitch and hit, and people are like, all right, that's kind of a whole myth, and it just can't happen, and we'll see, like, you know, it won't last very long. I don't know if this guy's given the credit for how incredible that is, like you said. Like, I don't think people realize at that level. He's not doing this, like, in single A ball. Like, yeah. to do this at this level, I don't know if we've given him enough credit, because I think when he came in, people kind of laughed at it and said, well, that's not going to last very long. Yeah, and he's and he's a great hitter too. Like it's not yeah. like he's he's hitting two fifty or something like that. No. Like he's a phenomenal hitter. Man, you know that's a great question. Jaden Darden was drafted by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the fourth round of the NFL draft. 
Darden was the first player from North Texas to be drafted since 2004, which means Army now has the longest drought of FBS schools with no players picked in the NFL draft since 2008. UNLV has the second longest drought as they have not had a player pick since 2010. Top five. Come on. What? Why do you do this? You know, you know that they're going beyond this number with Anthony Rosas. You know oh, that this is going to change. Rosas is coming. He's on Twitter with like, I think he's lifting 7,000 pounds on a deadlift. Uh, yeah. He's doing well. He's got the belt on, the weightlifting belt. And uh, this is going to change. What, what's he got? Does he got to play two years? Is that rule out the window now? <laughs> well, so normally well, three years. years. He's getting drafted. Normally, normally oh. three years. Uh, but they they might make a special exception for Anthony Rosas. He might be the well. They first can't to... redshirt him because you know, B cannot redshirt a kid who's going to the league. Yeah, so, so it might be a, might play. be might be one and Rosas will be the first one and done player in college football. <laughs> one and done to the NFL. Break yes. the streak. All right, coming up next, John Gruden actually allowed Mike Mayock to draft defensive players. What exactly happened over the weekend? Wake up with the Press Box with Grady and Bischoff. Weekday mornings at 7 on ESPN Las Vegas, 1100 AM and 100.9 FM. Obviously, it's pretty disappointing considering all the success we've had over these past two seasons, you know, two straight NFC Championship games. And I know they didn't end the way we would all like, but uh, the fact that we're in this spot um, certainly is uh, not what I want. And especially when you're talking about the league MVP and, and all the great moments we've had together. And, you know, hopefully we will resolve this and he'll be back in a Green Bay Packer uniform. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. Be part of the conversation on the Finley Kia text line at 69187. Finley Kia, come see a Kia on West Sahara. So something happened during the NFL draft for the Raiders that a little bit surprising given their head coach. Raiders only drafted two offensive players, and both were offensive linemen, their first pick and their uh, last pick in the NFL draft. But they took two safeties, one linebacker, one cornerback, one defensive end in the NFL draft. So should, should we be sitting back saying maybe Mike Mayock has more control of who they take than we thought? Absolutely not. Someone locked Gruden in a closet. There's no chance this guy agreed to all this. Sweating in a closet somewhere. Where's John? We don't know where he is. Don't let him in. Um, no, I mean, I don't. Maybe someone finally brought Gruden into the lab and said, "Can you sit down with Gus and watch these defensive games last year?" And what do you think? Um, I, I, I'll never. Obviously, neither of us will ever believe that uh, someone has more power than Gruden. Nobody does. But you know, look, when you don't make the playoffs three straight years and you've only won 19 games in three years. Maybe someone can convince you in that realm that you got to go defense here. That you, you've tried everything else offensively. You've won 19 games in three years. Let's go defense, and, and you know that's what they did. Yeah. So we're looking at their biggest offseason acquisition on defense. Now, granted, their second biggest was Kenyon Drake, and they also give right. Colton Miller a big extension. So they, it's not like they ignored offense this year. But their biggest defensive acquisition or offseason acquisition was on defense, and now the draft outside of the first round pick was mostly on defense i don't know if it's enough to make the defense significantly better what i'm actually more curious about is the offense going to hold up this next season because what the raiders were last year 
where they were basically like the 10th best offense in football by whatever. You can look at scoring or you can look at, you know, like football outsiders. They were the 10th best offense or so in football last year, but they were like 28, 29, 30th in defense. Now, ideally, you stay around the 10th best offense and your defense finds its way around 20th, the 20th best defense. And now all of a sudden, you're probably a playoff team. You've got a good shot to be one of the seven teams in the AFC that makes the playoffs. But what I'm curious to see is, even if the defense improved, because they blew up the offensive line, yeah. like are they going to slide back? Like Are they going to, instead of being the 10th best offense, are they now suddenly the 14th, 15th best offense, which might negate any gains they have on the defensive side of the ball? Absolutely. And that's why it's, you know, when they dismantled the line and they blew it up and you got Mayock saying, well, we're really excited about a young line. Well, often a young line isn't very good in its first year. So if that's the case, then there's no there's no way you can sit here and say they're going to be top 10 offense. Now, maybe those guys are better than we think. And Andre James is better than we think. And, you know, Leatherwood's, you know, going to come in and actually block someone, you know, in terms of what pro football focus said, watch out. He can't pass protect. That's not good. Um, so if all these guys are betting what the ratings are, then maybe, but you can't go into next season and think, oh, they're going to be as good when you take away Rodney Hudson, when you take away Gabe Jackson and people like that, you're going to have to prove it before anyone would believe that. One of the interesting picks they made, um, in the third round was divine Diablo, the, uh, defensive back from Virginia tech, who they are now going to move to linebacker. And it sounds a lot like Tanner Muse last year when they took a safety out of Clemson and then said, no, no, he's going to play linebacker for the Raiders. And then actually he didn't end up playing because he got hurt, but they were only going to use him on special teams. But what I think is fascinating is the Raiders have had five third-round picks the last two years. Three of the players they've drafted in the third round, they have wanted to change their position. They took Lynn right. Bowden out of right. Kentucky, wanted to change his position, ended up trading him away before he ever played. They took Tanner Muse out of Clemson, wanted to change his position, and now Diablo, and they want to change his position. After we heard Mike Mayock say multiple times about how, hey, it was a bad offseason to try to change positions, it was a bad offseason for rookies to try to teach them something new, I'm a little surprised they took another player that they have to change position. And even though they should get more time with the players this year than last year, they're probably not going to have the same offseason as, you know, 2018 or 19 like we've seen in the past. So I was surprised they took somebody that, again, they have to change their position after Mayock said it was a bad idea last year. Are you suggesting they change Jonathan Abrams' position? Uh, Yes, to (laughs) the bench would probably be the ideal Um, place for him. Well, let me ask you something about uh, Diablo. By the way, comes aboard with one of the cooler names on the team. How, you know, in the Bradley scheme, and we talked about this pre-draft, whether, you know, the the kid from Notre Dame uh, who eventually went to the Browns later and people thought uh, had some medicals they didn't know about, you know, you made the good point that you're going to take him, and how often is he going to be on the field in that scheme? You know, how many times are you going to have him on the field and someone's going to be off the field, whether it's, you know, Littleton, Kwiatkowski, Morrow, and, and you take a linebacker. So, if they do make Diablo a linebacker, how often is he on the field in that scheme? Yeah, Diablo and Muse don't really have a path to playing time on defense. I'm sure they do on special teams. But like Gus Bradley and the Raiders for the most part, like most teams in the NFL now, they don't play three linebackers. Like you no. play two linebackers most of the time. You probably play one linebacker more often than you play three linebackers on the field. And the Raiders, their roster construction – Three of the top nine cap hits on this team are linebackers. Corey yep. Littleton, Nick Kwiatkowski, and, and Nicholas Morrow. And for the most part, 
one of those three guys is going to be on the sideline for the majority of the snaps this year. And like Littleton wasn't good last year, but I'm kind of expecting him to bounce back just because he was much better in LA before the Raiders he has signed to be him. Better this year. He has right. To be better. I, I'm expecting that, even though he wasn't good last season. Like Kwiatkowski was fine last year. Nicholas, Nicholas Morrow was fine last year. So I don't know that, the, like, there isn't a path to playing time for Diablo and Muse because. They're going to need like either multiple linebacker injuries or uh, Littleton to be so bad the Raiders decide to bench him midway through the season. Like I just to me those picks and like they're third rounders, so they're not that valuable, but they're not seventh rounders. Like you're still expecting to get something out of your third rounders, and I don't know where they get from Tanner Muse and, and Divine Diablo. I don't know other than you know. 17 tackles on kickoff return over the course of a season. I don't know how much they're going to get out of those guys. It feels, even if Diablo's useful at, at moving to linebacker, or successful, I should say, moving to linebacker, he's not going to be useful because he's not going to have a chance to play, really. Did we just do Do a- you think when Gruden took over, they said in a few years, John, you're going to have a kid at defensive end from Buffalo? He didn't think it was Khalil Mack. <laughs> do you think they looked around and said, it's not going to be Khalil? You're going to get another rush in from Buffalo? Malcolm Coots, which is the the amazing part of them, about them drafting Malcolm Coots from Buffalo, is that if you look at uh, Dane Brugler of the Athletic, his big board or Pro Football Focus's big board, this was actually a bigger reach than Alex Leatherwood. Like this was their biggest reach of the draft because I think Pro Football Focus had him at one sixty seven on their big board, and they drafted him at seventy ninth. Like they took him almost a hundred spots earlier right. than where he was expected to go, which but, is pretty bad. Not gonna and, be- it's not going to be considered a bigger reach only because it might be by and pro football focus probably exactly right. But you and I both know it won't be a bigger reach if Leatherwood stinks because they're always going to say, oh, you took him at 17. Like the fourth rounders, when you get right. into there, you don't hear a lot about reaches if the guy's not any good. It's like, yeah, that guy just didn't pan out. If Leatherwood isn't any good, they'll be ripped for that forever for reaching like yeah. they have at this point on Damon Arnett and others. Yeah, and you won't hear much about Malcolm Coon no. because he is a, a mid-round pick and it's – Mid-round picks are more about, hey, you hit on somebody, not so much right. that you miss. Nobody cares too much that you miss. So, like like the Raiders, since Mike Mayock has been here, they haven't really hit on anything in the mid-rounds except for Hunter Renfro and Max Crosby. But those, two, Crosby, were yeah. such, those yeah. two were such good hits that Mike Mayock is considered a good drafter in the middle round. Yeah. Ruby is uh, Ruby's very hungry. Ruby's not happy. Well, Ruby heard Max Crosby. Fired up about Max Crosby. We, yeah. we probably yeah. need to go to break, but did we just do an entire segment so that Tyler could say the word Diablo a bunch of times? Diablo. That is, that is. I will say, I'm Great happy they drafted a guy named Diablo. It's just too bad he's not going to play because we're never going to get to mention Diablo. All right, coming up next, AJ Mass joins the show. Our stats hogwash. Are you tired of hearing Tyler do math on the radio? Tweet at Bischoff underscore Tyler and at Ed Graney. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. Joining us now from ESPN is AJ Mass. AJ, how are you this morning? AJ, doing fine, guys. What's going on? We are good. So I, I want to start with just a general question here about baseball. We're like eh, 30-ish, 35 games in for most teams. Of these three teams, which one is actually good? The Red Sox, Royals, or Giants? Well, I would say I would believe the most in the Red Sox out of those three, certainly. Uh, basically, given the division they're in, and plus, 
they're even better than the record because they started off really slow, losing the first series, and then out like seventeen and nine since. So uh, I'd say the Red Sox are probably the most real on that. The Giants, uh, I'm not sure in that division that they're not going to suddenly, uh, you know, fall behind the Dodgers and Padres once they stop playing each other. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, with State because as you say, the Red Sox is interesting. I'm going to go the opposite here though. Will the Yankees? Re- I mean, how, how quickly do you think the Yankees will or could rebound in that thing in terms of be- based on their start? Well, you know, we've got like twenty-seven teams at five hundred or better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I exaggerate a little bit, but yeah, you know, the first month is a great uh, determination of who's bad. So I think you can believe Detroit is not very good, but I think we also <clears> knew that going in. Uh, but you know, you if you look at the the NL East standings, for example. You know, what's the only team that has scored more runs than their opponents? That's the last place Marlins. Everyone else is like <laughs> double-digit runs under. None of these stats really mean a whole heck of a lot. It's it's a marathon, not a sprint, especially when you're talking about, you know, like the Mets and the Nationals who, because of Washington's COVID, you know, the Mets haven't played anybody uh, really yet. They're, they're the one team that's gotten the benefit of having to, you know, they could use DeGrom extra times because they had so many games postponed because of other teams' COVIDness and Reina and whatnot. Uh, so, I, you know, the Yankees will do better than they are, to answer your question. I will get back to it. Um, but again, it, it's it's a division that's going to probably play close for that second wild card spot the whole way through. You, you mentioned run differential. Like, how much do you put into that? Because the, the NL East is funny with only the Marlins being positive. But, like, the Royals are minus five winning their division. Oakland's minus five winning their division. Like, how much does run differential matter? Uh, not a heck of a lot because you have to then go into, like, you know, San Francisco's a perfect example. Like, have they really scored a lot of runs? No. Uh, they, they, you know, you win one game seven to one, and suddenly that run differential, you know, shoots up by six, and then you look a lot better than you did before. They're winning a lot of one-run games. I think that's probably a little bit more impressive to me uh, than, than a differential. You know, you get one game against Colorado, which is what San Francisco's really done, uh, to boost the numbers there. It doesn't really mean a whole heck of a lot. Uh, boy, I cringe asking this, but games between in the last few weeks, uh, as you said, the Dodgers and Padres, just you could have no no dog in the hunt in either of them and want to watch those games and see kind of that budding rivalry. What what could push them past the Dodgers? I know May went out, he's gone for the year, but what about them? Their closer's terrific right now, like that could make the difference down the stretch for them to overtake the Dodgers. <clears throat> really, I mean, in the real world, I'm not thinking that they will. I, I just think the Dodgers have too much pitching depth uh, overall for the whole season. Like you said, you know, the Dodgers can afford to lose May uh, for the year. And, well, you know, they got a couple of other people to just, you know, Gonsolin, hey, bring him in. You know, it doesn't really matter so much for them. I, I think San Diego has to have everything go right uh, in all the other games. And then be competitive and not, you know, maybe get lucky a couple of draws where, like, oh, this series, they don't get Kershaw. But, I mean, you know, then the Doctors will probably just delay them because the Padres series are more important to them. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, a, it's not realistic for the Padres to win this division uh, over the course of 162 games. But if they're close down the stretch, then I think all bets are off. And then, you know, it becomes just this bloodbath that's going to come between the two teams. It's going to be fun to watch. Like you said, it's fun to watch. you got the Mets and the Phillies who are just emptying the dugouts every every time they face each other. <laughs> the Reds and the Cubs emptying the dugouts. Like, I'm not I'm not a big fan of what, uh, you know, like Amir Garrett's been doing. But it's, it's fun. It, it's getting baseball <laughs> back. And that's what's exciting about it. 
Okay, tonight I know Yankees and Astros are on ESPN, and ESPN is doing a Star Wars-themed broadcast. Are you all in on a Star Wars-themed broadcast for Yankees-Astros? Absolutely. Why not? <laughs> Let's have fun with it. Now, if they made the players take part in this, and, you know, like <laughs> you had, you know, one team coming out in, uh, you know, Jedi gear <laughs> and the robes and the other stress with the hoods as Jawa, maybe not. But uh, have fun with the broadcast. Absolutely. I mean, you're talking to a former mascot here. I'm all for stuff like that. <laughs> um, okay. Since it's Star Wars night, who is the actual evil empire? Is it still the Yankees who have been that forever, or is it the Astros now? Uh, which one has Domhnall Gleeson on it? Because I think that's the one I'm going to root for at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think you know you can't uh, you can't mess with the Evil Empire classic. Uh, the Yankees are always going to be hated in their own city and beyond. Uh, I, I think not having a full season to scream at Houston last year probably let that uh, passing of the guard maybe go by the wayside a little bit. I think it would have been different if we had, had a full season of everybody banging trash cans every time they came into their home parks. And you'll still get that to some extent, but a little more distance from that incident. And I think a lot of the more casual fans have probably forgotten why they should be hating on Houston. Um, what did you expect? I know he took some heat last week uh, in some of the decisions, but you know, they're, I think they're a game or maybe half game out. What did you expect from Tony LaRusso at that age and that point in, in, in someone's career to come back and try to do this? I, they played above average, obviously, but what do you think long-term? Will this work? I mean, short answer, no. <laughs> okay. okay. I, I think in general, um, you know, I, I think baseball works because baseball works and talent always rises to the top. And you can get away with – uh, short spurts of inspired managing to change mm -hmm. the impact. You know, Joe Madden is perfect proof of that, whereas he, he could take Tampa Bay when they were this ragtag team of hodgepodge parts, and he could get away with that for a while. I don't necessarily think that that's going to work on a, on a routine basis. I think you get lucky sometimes, and all, all the chips fall into place, and even then you sometimes just don't get the results you want. Uh, I have fantasy baseball question for you because our producer here did not take my advice and pick up Kyle Tucker. Is Kyle Tucker, Tucker ever? Is he ever going to actually hit above two hundred this season? I mean, I think one of the questions would be, do you need him to? I mean, the the average in the league is like about two thirty. So whereas. <laughs> Maybe even five, six years ago, if you you know you needed your hitters, even the sluggers, to hit 270 or you were hurting yourself, you can get away with a guy hitting 230, 240 now, and it really doesn't impact your fantasy value of these guys. So, I mean, I'm still, I'm still projecting Tucker to be close to a top 20 hitter. Uh, you know, there is going to be a point, and we're getting towards you know mid-May here. Uh, in a couple of weeks, that's when I tend to really look in. You know, I'd say six weeks is a good sample size to really start to make huge judgments that, okay, this year is not their year. But four weeks, I'm, I'm not, you know, he's lower in my ratings now than he was at the beginning of the year, but I'm not cutting bait on a lot of people. And the same goes for hot starts. I mean, you know, certain pitchers, people are like, hey, you were really high on, uh, I was high on German Marquez of Colorado. And people were like, look, 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 is he right now? You still high? And I'm like, yeah, because he's 
got a three year at home in four starts and two best starts at the Giants, who clearly have his number. And he'll probably get beat up today because he's once again facing the Giants. <laughs> but, you know, take you got to take these things in the info and really thin slice it. And it doesn't mean what a lot of people think it means. It's just it's the beginning of the season. So anomalies stand out more. We, we talked about before you came on on how long the Angels will go with Shohei Otani as a pitcher. And will they go to the end with him? Uh, obviously, he's a very good hitter. Uh, but that's kind of the question. How long would you go with this uh, in terms of whether it's injuries or him as a pitcher? Because we kind of believe because it's the Angels, they're going to go to the end with any kind of pitcher who can produce even as a three or four guy. So where do you think this leads with Shohei Otani as a pitcher? Yeah, I, I think, unfortunately, I don't know that his body is going to be able to handle doing both jobs. And I don't think the Angels are going to commit to him being just a pitcher. Um, so we'll see his typical Sunday starts. Um, but I think at the slightest sign of an injury, you got to just say, all right, you don't pitch this week. Uh, he's just too valuable to your team as a hitter. I mean, you know, he's leading the league at home runs. You need that. <laughs> you need to score runs. The pitching is, is not, it's one every five days. And for him, it might not, it might be once every two weeks. I don't think he can count on him. Uh, what do you expect Shane McClanahan to be for the Tampa Bay Rays? I I don't know if the Rays are going to allow him to be anything more than a spot starter, um, long relief guy. I think they're going to use him in that. I, I think Tampa Bay does a great job of developing pitching talent. Um, but I think we've also seen that they will squeeze a lot out of these guys that perhaps once they leave, they're not able to continue it. I mean, Blake Snell really can't pitch more than six innings anymore. Um <laughs> In a start, so I think he'll be fine in what they use him for. I don't think they're going to overuse him, and you know we're talking for this year. He'll be a nice cog in a team that will compete all the way through. I don't know if he has a chance to develop into you know what we would consider a major league baseball ace, just because that's not how Tampa Bay runs runs their teams. You know, you'll you'll get your one inning starts from a guy like Yarbrough, and you know. All right, we'll bring him in for two through six, and okay, and that's as much as you're going to do, and that's going to hurt, you know, it's going to affect win totals and all that stuff. So if you're looking for stats from this guy, uh, is, there's not a lot that you're going to get at him this year. He's going to be a very good pitcher at some point. It'll probably be in the National League in two years. This this kind of seems like change for the sake of change. I want to get your thoughts on pitching, or excuse me, hitting coaches, and obviously, uh, so the Mets got rid of Chili Davis and Tom Slater on Monday night, but. You know, the, 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 there's a popular theory that Francisco Lindor should he should be able to fix whatever's wrong with him. They're at that level; he's at that level. So, where do you where do you stand on less than five weeks in? They get rid of these guys in terms of the importance of a hitting coach based on the guys he deals with on a daily basis and how long they've done this. Yeah, um, you know, it's, it's the same thing with bullpen coaches and you know your your pitching coaches and all this. They're they're excellent tools, and I think a lot of uh, a lot of coaches last a lot longer than perhaps their usefulness has been because of just their good clubhouse presences or, you know, the team gets to like the guy. And I think it's a lot of it has to do with that. I, you're right. There isn't a lot that you're going to be able to teach a guy like Lindor that he doesn't already know. But I also don't know what his particular routine is. is and if, in, you know, his years in Cleveland, if he just needed – hitting coach to do this specific thing for him. And that's mm -hmm. something that Chili Davis might not be doing. Um, 
it's a, a lot of that going on. I think, you know, Chili Davis, it, he wasn't also, he also wasn't fired five weeks in. He's been there for a while. So I think perhaps right, there right. might be some residual stuff from other years. You know, it'd be ridiculous to fire a hitting coach after a team, you know, slumps for a month. That that would be dumb. There's probably extenuating factors there that we're never going to know what's going on behind the scenes. And uh, you know, this this is a new Mets regime, certainly. So, you know, perhaps it's cleaning out a little bit of what, what was there before. Uh, but yeah, in general, I do think, that while pitchers and hitters do get attached to particular coaches, they're also professionals. And most of these guys are able, especially the veterans, are able to make any corrections on their own. Uh, doesn't mean that they can't be helped. You know, certainly for years and years and years, the Yankees were a better staff because Mel Stottlemyer was their pitching coach. You know, <laughs> he's a legend because of that. Uh, I'm sure, you know, having uh, Red Shandings on the vents in St. Louis for a hundred years helped that team immensely just from his vast baseball knowledge. But at some point, you know, the players got to do it themselves. AJ Mass here used to be Mr. Met at one point. Uh, I want to give you a random mascot in baseball and you grade him for us. Uh, what do you think of Wally the Green Monster in Boston? Oh, Wally the Green Monster in Boston. Well... I would say that this is a pointless use of mascot. Um, <laughs> I was not a fan when they brought him in, especially because uh, I, I actually went as a fan to a game the first year that they brought him out uh, on a Sunday, and I, I didn't see him on the field at all. And I, so I asked one of the ushers, said, so where's Wally the Green Monster? And they say, who? That's not a good sign. <laughs> then I said, your mascot? And they said, oh, I think he only comes to weekend games. I said, it's Sunday. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, you know, and that, and that was the, that was his first year. Uh, I'm a, I'm not a big fan in general of the amorphous blob, uh, as, as a character. Uh, I, I'd much rather have something that fits in with, with the team and city a little more. And yeah, I know it's the wall and everything, but you know, he's, he's basically, uh, a combo of like Ernie and Grover kind of on steroids. So it's, it's not quite the look I, I would prefer for a mascot. <laughs> Well, he is AJ Mass from ESPN. Follow him on Twitter at AJ Mass. AJ, we appreciate it this morning. Thanks, AJ. Thanks a lot, guys. Oh, mascots. What do you think of him? You're a mascot guy. Oh, he's not that scary. Coming up next, <laughs> our sharp loss because the Buffalo Sabres oh. won. Oh. Do you want to schedule a parent-teacher conference after hearing Grainy's grades? Call the Press Box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678 and let us know who deserves a higher grade. We're checking in on the latest news from PropSwap, where smart sports bettors buy and sell sports bets. Go to PropSwap.com today and find the very best odds. Joining us now from PropSwap is Luke Perdandy. And Luke, I'm very curious. What's happened with, say, Green Bay Packers, maybe Denver Bronco tickets, given all the Aaron Rodgers news of the last five days? Yeah, I feel like that was more of the takeaway of NFL Draft Weekend than anyone, you know, Justin Fields or Trey Lance. um, It was wild how much that, that rumor just, uh, circulated, but um, yeah, we we sold a this prop shop customer back two hundred bucks on the Broncos to win the Super Bowl at sixty to one odds uh, earlier last month, so like middle of April, and he sold it on Saturday for five seventy five and new odds of twenty to one. 
Um, so with with zero personnel changes, the Super Bowl yeah. odds on the Broncos <laughs> went from sixty to one to twenty to one on a team that was horrendous last year. How about the Las Vegas Raiders, Luke? Are they jumping all over them at the idea that Rodgers is going to come to Vegas? Yeah, I mean they are. I believe their odds are third. They have the third highest odds to land Aaron Rodgers. Uh, in my opinion, like he, if he doesn't go to the Broncos, which seems to be, and that was a complete rumor. Like I, I haven't really seen much substantiated evidence that he's going to go there. Obviously, you could point at John Elway just being a quarterback guy for wanting Aaron Rodgers to come. That makes sense. But um, unfortunately, I, if he doesn't go there, I think his hometown of San Francisco uh, to go play with Kyle Shanahan, even though they did just get Trey Lance, perhaps he signed Rodgers for you know two-year deal to play in SF. Um, but obviously being, uh, you know, watching this company crop stop in Vegas, we want the, the Raiders to succeed. So as a homer pick, hopefully he goes to Vegas. <laughs> Um, I'm curious with uh, with Justin Fields and the Bears trading up for him. Was there any movement on Bears tickets? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. We've been selling uh, for whatever reason. The Colts have been a really hot um, team. I guess you know the Quitty Pay pick was was popular. The Colts did get a pretty solid draft um, grade. So the Colts and the Bears, I would say, those have been the two teams that we've sold a lot of since the draft. You know, the Bears were a quarterback away. Obviously, neither Nick Foles nor Mitch Trubisky were uh, successful last year, but the defense is solid. Um, and you obviously have Allen Robinson returning. So I like it. I, I was, uh, I'm from Chicago. I, I've been saying it was a very un-Bears thing to do by trading up and getting an athletic quarterback at pick number 11. Because uh, there's no question if they stayed at 20, where the Bears originally were slotted, they would not have got Justin Fields. There's no chance he would have fell that late. Um, so, yeah, Bears and Colts and, of course, the Broncos was zero uh, personnel changes that been getting a lot of action. Well, he well, is listen, Luke. Luke, it, it, Luke, if you stayed at 20, you wouldn't get an Alex Leatherwood either. So good for you guys to get up there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, he is Luke Perkdandy from PropSwap.com. Luke, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks, Luke. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Bye. Stay at 20. You're not getting that big tide bright tackle. No no imaging, Jared? You don't want your own imaging to, to make your oh, own pick? No, no. Okay, sorry. I, I, I didn't think we'd actually have time. I didn't know you were leaving right then. So, all right, hold on. <laughs> it's time to find the sharp. Brought to Just you by PropSwap, where smart sports bettors buy and sell sports bets. Go to PropSwap.com today and find the very best odds. All right. All right. Uh, Mike, I got I to tell people why you're making the pick today. Michael lost. He picked against the Sabres for the third time in a row, and the Sabres won a game. They beat the Islanders yesterday. So Michael is done. Don't ever bet against the Sabres three times in a row. It won't work out for you. So instead, our sharp today is going to be Jared. Are you, are you picking three games again? No, no, just two today, just two. Uh, all right, so you're going to want to take – the Chicago Cubs twice, first oh. five, co- to cover one and a half. Okay. All right. We'll need a new sharp tomorrow. Hold on. Hold on. You first, first five to cover one and a half? Yeah. In well, they're plus, nah, they're plus one and a half. So, yeah, they'll cover oh, that. Okay. Piece. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Plus one and a half. Okay. Do they do first five and in seven inning games? Hey, it's listed. 
It is? Okay. Okay. It, appears, it, it appears Jared does. <laughs> I I didn't know they I didn't know if they still did that or not. So Cubs plus one and a half in the first uh, five you're betting, in both games of a doubleheader. When your when your units are as low as mine. <laughs> you, you, you can, they'll, they'll let you do it. Be like, all right, so you're betting two dollars to win three. Nice. Uh. <laughs> I am uh, excited that you left the door open for the Cubs to win these bets, but also lose the game uh, by blowing it in the sixth and seventh inning of these doubleheaders. Well, they're, although they're I'm going to be very the, excited, they're going to take the starters out easy. I am very excited. For the Cubs to pull off the doubleheader sweep of the oh, Dodgers and Ed Kershaw to not be here tomorrow. 